0: Thank you, Alyssa and Emily. Very nicely done. Book of Romans. Book of Romans once again tonight, as we were just in the book of Romans for our scripture reading this evening, Romans chapter number five, Romans chapter number five, as we will observe the Lord's table uh, here in uh, just a few moments, I uh, want to uh, draw our attention to one of the great doctrines of salvation, the doctrine of reconciliation and Pardon me while I get set up here and uh, get everything in place and make sure that everything is working like it should. All right. So reconciliation, we uh, saw here in Romans chapter number 5, a passage that some of us maybe have committed to memory. Romans 5 and verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Well, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 18 speaks to this passage or speaks to this doctrine as well. All and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us to us the ministry of reconciliation. So as we look at this doctrine of reconciliation tonight, uh, we first of all need to define what reconciliation is. So we'll go through a couple of definitions and break them down a little bit. There's some underlying bold print terms uh, that will be there for uh, some emphasis. But it is the gracious act of the Father whereby he conforms us to his standard in Christ Jesus. So we'll see a second definition here. It is restoration of fellowship after estrangement or after the change. To cause to conform to a standard to be adjusted to a specific standard. Now, I took an accounting class when I was in high school. And uh, I understand that a lot of the accounting now is done through some sort of electronic software. I remember approaching our business manager at our former ministry and asking her about another, offering another accounting class uh, like what I uh, took in high school. And she said, well, they they really don't do a whole lot um, on paper anymore, it's it's a lot of it, a lot of it is done electronically. And we had a specific program uh, that we used. And so she didn't really think that it would be advantageous for the students because they would literally have to learn on software or different types of software uh, for, for accounting. And so we never did pursue that uh, class any further. I think we still had some textbooks stacked up in the book room. Who knows, I may have even used one of those those textbooks. But I remember an accounting class and then uh, learning in consumer math. I learned about balance sheets and reconciling a checkbook. And I know that's foreign to, to, to some people, to, to some young people. And now there's QuickBooks and there's NetSuite by Oracle and I don't know, um, I can't even remember what we used uh, there uh, at our former ministry, but uh, it, it can get extremely complicated. Uh, there are uh, people who are in accounting who they are involved in corporate corporations with uh, multi-million, if not million-dollar uh, industries. It is, it is a major uh, career profession. And uh, there are major tests that have to be taken uh, in order to become a CPA, but a lot of what they do can be, no pun intended, can be summed up uh, in reconciliation, reconciling balance sheets and spreadsheets and columns of numbers and making sure that everything conforms to a standard. And when the numbers don't add up when they don't conform to the standard somebody has to be held responsible for that now we know that if you work in certain levels of government and if you work for certain groups of people within government it doesn't have to add up just you know just add a few more taxes you know share the love underneath the table so to speak okay, All right. you know what I'm saying there's some things that just never reconcile especially for the federal government they don't ever have to reconcile the budget Uh, they just pass it on to the next generation kick the can down the street and add it to the national debt, right but if we set that aside we know that eventually the bill comes due if there isn't reconciliation, if the numbers don't add up, if there isn't uh, all of the uh, coming in and going out that matches up like it should, eventually there is a cost. That standard is not met, so there is a consequence. We are the sinners. We have not met the standard. There is a barrier. There is a enmity between us and God because of our sin. We have not met God's standard. We have not been conformed to God's standard by our good works, by our good deeds, by our works of righteousness. We come short. We fail every time. No matter how we try to balance the budget with our own good works and our own good deeds and our own efforts, we always come up short. We always fail to meet God's standard. So we need reconciliation as a gracious act of the Father whereby he conforms us to his standard in Christ Jesus. We need to be restored to fellowship after having been estranged. We need to be conformed to the standard. We can't do that on our own, can we? We can't do it. We can't make enough effort. We can't do enough good works. We can't work hard enough. And I know that there are all of these religions out there that have some sort of Devotion, have some sort of activity, have some sort of religious activity, religiosity, some sort of catechisms, or there is uh, some sort of religious tradition, rituals that you're supposed to follow that then become means of grace. Emily and I just had a conversation the other day uh, about some of the, the different religions. As uh, she is uh, having to, uh, to study some of this in, in college a little bit, as a, a biblical counseling major, and we were, we were discussing uh, some of the different denominations that are out there and some of the differences between them. And every single religious group or denomination that is out there, besides Christianity, Christianity is, yes, a religion, but it is primarily a relationship. Uh, with Jesus Christ, but every denomination, every religion out there has some sort of tradition, has some sort of activity, has some sort of ritual, has something by which a person can receive grace or can achieve some sort of holiness or can get themselves to a better place with God in some way, shape, or form. And you can go all the way to the false religions and the, even the spiritism. Everything is about some measure of good works. And what we do tonight in observing the Lord's table is not a means of grace in the sense that we take of the bread and of the juice and it somehow achieves for us A grace that can then be applied to our account to gain us favor with God. What we are going to participate in here in just a little bit is a memorial with symbols that draw our attention to what Jesus Christ did for us and how by faith alone in Christ alone we are saved for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So reconciliation has to do with us failing to meet the standard. We come short of the glory of God, as we read in Romans 5, in verse number 8, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So let's go on in looking at our need. We are without strength. We are ungodly. We are a sinner by nature, and we are subject to to God's wrath. All this from Romans 5 going back to verse number 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And then verses 7 and 8, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. And then as we have already read, God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners. So it's very obvious that we fail to meet the standard. We miss the mark. We fall short of the glory of God so we are in a bad condition and this is not popular preaching this is not what man-made religions teach man-made religions in some way shape or form say that man can achieve his righteousness or man is not inherently sinful and even in roman catholicism There is a combination of the works of man and the works of God, the work of Christ and the work of man. And together there is this mutual work to gain favor with God and through the sacraments and through the rosaries and confession and all that, then you can at least make it to purgatory. And then while you're in purgatory, hopefully you've done enough good works that you don't sit in purgatory for too long. You're not in limbo land for too long. And maybe there's prayers and there's incense and who knows what all indulgences, if you know what I mean, wealth given to the church in hopes that you will spend less time in purgatory. And after that last little bit of sin is burned off, or enough prayers are given on your behalf, or enough incense is burned, or as I have mentioned in here before, when I was in New York City at a cathedral, we were taking a tour, and they pointed to the ceiling, and the priest's hats were tied up. The priest the, the priests that had been there at that cathedral, their, the, the previous priest, their hats were tied up into the rafters of the ceiling, and then down below there was a an area where some of the hats had fallen, and we were told by the tour guide that the the priests that they didn't like, their hats were tied really tight to the rafters because supposedly when their hat fell to the ground, that's when their soul was released from purgatory. So the tour guide said that they tie the hats really tight of the priests they didn't like so that they would have to spend more time in purgatory. Isn't that just ridiculous? But, but that's, that's the, the view of Roman Catholicism there's this cooperation of our works and the works of Jesus and his work wasn't enough we have to throw in our our measure and, and and hopefully it will all add up and eventually after some time in purgatory then we'll we'll talk to peter at the pearly gates and we'll get led into into heaven so christianity biblical christianity speaks to the sinfulness of man and we are Without strength, we are ungodly, we are a sinner, we just sang a song for such a worm as I. And I think in amazing grace, saved a wretch like me. We don't think of ourselves as wretches. That's that's the the, the person down the street that's begging by the side of the road. That's the the drunk in the, the ditch, or the drunk that's That's puking his his guts out over the toilet after being drunk all night, or that's that's the drug abuser down the road. We we don't we don't think of ourselves as wretches. But if not for the grace of God, so go I. We're worms who need salvation, need to be saved. We need reconciliation desperately. We are subject to God's wrath, to his great anger. We are in big trouble. But that's not how this world operates. This world operates as if we are going to make it on our own. Anything that we want to do, we can do. Anything that we dream, we can fulfill. On and on it goes, this self-righteousness of man. And we are, we are going to be able to accomplish whatever it is that we accomplish. And we just need all of these killjoys to get out of the way. We need all of these right-wing And conservatives and Christians, we need them to get out of the way because then man can reach his utopian state of happiness and we can all come together, hold hands, and sing kumbaya. That is what the world teaches. But scripture is clear. We are sinners in need of a savior. We are without strength, ungodly, subject to God's wrath. So the, the, the basis of reconciliation, let's look for a few moments at this basis of reconciliation. The world is reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. So we only can be reconciled to God through Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, Jesus said. And we've been looking in the book of John at the exclusive claims that Christ makes regarding his deity. So Christ has laid the foundation upon which God can take his standard and reach out to sinners and bring them to himself. Now let's go a little further with this. Individuals of the world, that's you and me as sinners, we can be reconciled by Christ. But let's think about this. Okay, It is God who is initiating The reconciliation. This is an incredible thought. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. This is a parallel passage that is important for us to look at. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. God initiates reconciliation. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is an amazing thought. This is a humbling thought. We are not worthy. God in Christ sought us out. We love Him because He first loved us. Scarcely for a righteous man would someone die. We read there in in Romans. But yet while we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. He came after us, unworthy, failing to meet His standard, Wretches, worms, as the hymn writers describe us, yet he sought us out. So there is reconciliation. How? Well, because of Christ's death on the cross. Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there is this barrier. There is this offense. There is this obstacle between That is, taken down by Christ, by his death on the cross. He pays the penalty. He breaks down the middle wall of partition between us. Ephesians 2 and verse number 16 speaks to this finished work of Christ in reconciliation. Ephesians 2 and verse number 16. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And then we see in Romans 5 and verse 11, the shedding of his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, we read in Hebrews. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And the atonement speaks to the blood of Christ. Now, have we ever been in a situation, in a relationship where there is a brokenness in that relationship and something has to be taken out of the way for that relationship to be fixed? And I often go back to, and I I apologize for using school illustrations, but I I lived school for so many years. I I often go, go back to school situations. And and I know I I refer to the the junior high girls and the junior high boys quite often because it just was a part of my life for so long. But I, I look at some of those situations where I had a group of students in my office or in the hallway or in the classroom. And we would sometimes, I mean literally, I would spend sometimes hours working with the different parties involved in whatever the issue was. And I'll tell you, sometimes it never worked out. It never it never got fixed. Sometimes they would shake hands, they would give each other hugs, but there was still something there that was constantly a burr in somebody's saddle. But there were times where God gave great victory. And there would be, I still remember a group of, in this case, it was a group of high school boys. And high school boys, typically, they just... They, they just they just kind of duke it out. They, they just kind of take care of business, and they push, shove, yell, scream, hit, and then they move on. You know, they they give each other fist bumps, give each other a pat on the back, some grunts and groans, and they, they move on. Okay? The girls, it, it, it can go on, and there can be tentacles that reach back sometimes for, for months and years, and, and lists of things, of offenses. No offense, ladies. I'm not trying to be chauvinistic, but... Uh, Some of you are shaking your heads. You know what I'm talking about. But I remember a group of high school boys. For whatever reason, this group of high school boys had not taken care of an issue. There was some teasing that began lighthearted. And then it wasn't taken so lighthearted. And then they didn't communicate about what was not being taken lightheartedly anymore. And then it became an offense. And then these boys started to argue and fight. And it blew up in the locker room one afternoon and I got the call and I bring these boys in and they're sitting in my office and I'm going one by one and I'm getting the story and it eventually boiled down to some good natured teasing that turned into not so good natured teasing that became an offense and they hadn't worked it out they hadn't communicated but I'll tell you what there was something that happened that day by the grace of God as we work through and it all got put out on the table. It all got regurgitated right there. And we dealt with it. And I looked at each one. And they all apologized to each other. And those boys, they shook each other's hands. They gave each other fist bumps. They patted each other on the back. They gave each other hugs, whatever it was. And they walked out of the office that day reconciled. Those boys were good friends the rest of their high school days. One of them ended up moving away. One of them graduated this past uh, May in uh, or a year ago, uh, May. Wow, it's been that long already. And graduated with with Emily, and, and 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 seeing that young man mature and develop and grow up, knowing and he even reminded me at at graduation night, uh, he reminded me and his mom of some of our of our, our our issues through the years. And he and he and his mom, by the grace of God, thanked me. And I know that specific incident was one of those incidents where they took care of business. They apologized to each other. They sincerely were bothered that they had created an offense and they fixed it. And they walked out of there and there was peace. There was harmony. And isn't that a joy in our relationships that God gives us in church, in our homes, in our families, and? Sometimes in our places of employment, isn't there a joy in reconciliation when the barrier is taken away? That's true peace. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That reconciliation brings peace. There's no longer that barrier. And it's sad sometimes when there are human relationships that never get fixed when they both are Christians they both claim Christ. They both have the Holy Spirit. And yet the barrier remains. And yet Christ paid for that sin with his own blood. So why do we keep harboring it? Why do we remain in anger and upset with one another? It, it doesn't mean that we have to be best friends, as I would often tell the kids. It doesn't mean you have to be best friends, but you ought to at least be able to get along. You ought to at least be able to walk the hallways together, pass each other without... Angry looks and teasing and other kinds of unsavory exchanges of words and gestures and looks and all that, and body language. We ought to be able to at least be able to get along. Happens with teammates, happens in all kinds of different groups. So we just touched on this, and I'm going to hurry through these results. We just talked about peace with God, Colossians 1, 21 and 22, another passage that speaks to this measure of reconciliation and how it brings peace. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. We're the ones with the wicked works against God, but now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblamable and un- unreprovable in his sight. Incredible. We're the ones who have committed the wicked works and God sought us out of love and through his son, Jesus Christ in his body. He took the payment, the punishment, paid the penalty for our sins so that we can have that peace with God, that we can be made the righteousness of God in him. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. And what does that then in turn make us ambassadors? Ambassadors. We have been reconciled to God. Now we are to take that message of reconciliation to a lost and dying world as we just looked at in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Now we are ambassadors for Christ to take this message of reconciliation that they too can have that barrier removed. They too can have their sins forgiven. They do not have to live as enemies of God or in enmity with God. That can be taken away by Christ, by His shed blood, by His sacrifice of Himself for our sins. And we have that message. We have that responsibility. We have that calling. We have that command. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Be witnesses of me. We are ministers We have this ministry of reconciliation, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. The conclusion then is Christ at his death accomplished a tremendous change. A lost world was rendered savable and his work on the cross made it receivable. So this reconciliation is offered to the whole world very clearly in the the scriptures. The whole world is given this offer God, through Jesus Christ, has made this possible. But it has to be received by faith. So then we make four quick applications as we come to a close. Reconciliation affects relationships. I've touched on this already. A relationship with God, first of all, and then with others. in the horizontal relationships. Reconciliation heals marriages. It, it heals All kinds of family relationships that, if they're not healed, result in a brokenness of the home and the family. That lead to all kinds of social disorders. I touch on it, I know, quite often, but these mass shooters, almost all of them are white, young white males. With absent fathers or fathers who are not in a right relationship with their sons and their sons are broken. There's no reconciliation, and there's no peace. And where does a young man go when he can't find peace? He goes to violence. He goes to risk-taking. He goes to some outlet. Not every young man will go to that extreme to start taking guns and shooting people. But the lack of reconciliation in his life leads to... In some cases, an extreme measure of brokenness and desperation that causes brokenness for others. It's sad, but we see it in our society. We see the side effects or the effects of the lack of reconciliation in homes and families. And unfortunately, there are churches that split and break and splinter. Sadly, sadly, for many churches... The, the, I'm going to say it this way, I don't mean this in an offensive way, but sadly for for some churches, for some groups of Christians, the, and even among Baptists, the number one way to plant a new church is to split from another church, sadly. And sometimes that has to be done because of, of biblical uh, positions, standing up for what is right because a leader is taking a church in a wrong direction and, and a, a group of believers has to leave because of a necessity of faithfulness to the word of God, uh, to principles and convictions. But sadly, it sometimes has to do with colors of carpet and where the organ is on the platform. As we, Kelly and I, heard the argument one time uh, as we're sitting in a doctor's office and the people in the church are sitting there in the same doctor's office and they're arguing about, I can't believe the pastor wants to move the organ to the other side of the auditorium. We're like, okay, uh-oh, you know, that's going to be trouble. Trouble's brewing. You know, may God spare us from that. May we be able to get some new pews and some new carpet and put them in here by the grace of God as he would allow, and we don't fight and fume over whose pew it is and where the gold plate's going to be with my name on it. Um, you know, it, we, we just, this is the Lord's. This is God's church, God's work, God's pews, God's carpet, and we're going to uh, put them in and we're going to we're going to serve the Lord together and, and love each other through it. But sorry, I just have to do a little, little homework, a little, little, little maintenance. But I, I know I love you people and, and, and you are well-taught people and you have been a unified group of people and you've been a joy to lead and to serve together. And I just want us as believers to continue in a measure of unity and reconciliation that God will bless our church and that we'll be a, a testimony and a lighthouse uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ, but family and social stability our testimony for Christ. If we cannot reconcile and forgive and get along, what does that say to a world that mudslings and flame throws and fights and commits all acts of violence against each other? What if the church, what if God's people who claim the name of Christ can't reconcile, can't work together? can't get along, can't move past things, then how are we going to have a testimony for Christ? And then, of course, the unity of the church. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, we read in the book of Psalms. That brings us to a close in this great doctrine of salvation. We'll close in prayer. We'll have a song, and then we'll observe the Lord's table together as we bow for prayer, and then Derek will come. And lead us in one stanza of the old rugged cross. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this great doctrine of salvation. Lord, we thank you for reconciliation that we have through Jesus Christ. That, Lord, we do not remain in a place of God's wrath. But, Lord, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the reconciliation that we have through Christ. May we live that out in our daily lives. And, Lord, may it bring unity to our church, to our homes, to our families. May it be a a powerful testimony to a lost and dying world around us. And may we take this ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors for Christ and share it uh, with those around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Derek's going to come and lead us. 143, one stands of the old rugged cross, and then we'll take time to observe the Lord's table tonight. If you don't mind standing please we'll sing verse 1 of 143 On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame and I love down